This evening we're going to be looking at Joshua chapter 2, the spies and Rahab. Forty long years in the wilderness wanderings had come to an end. And Moses' successor Joshua received the command from God to bring the children of Israel into the land of their inheritance. As was seen last week in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Let's turn to those verses. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people. And as we, we, as I said last week, all these people could be anything around the number of two million. Six hundred thousand fighting men and women and children besides. So we're talking about a lot of people. Go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Consequently, Joshua sent two men to spy out the land, and they entered Jericho and lodged at the house of Rahab, the harlot. In other words, the prostitute. That word has been softened by some, but harlot means prostitute. Her house was situated on the perimeter wall of the city. It would seem that the spies had been spotted because word got back to the king of Jericho that they were there to search out the country and indeed they had gone to the house of Rahab, the harlot. Consequently, as we see in chapter 2, verse 3, and the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. However, Rahab hid the two spies on her rooftop with flax that she had laid out. Presumably she'd laid out the flax on her roof to dry it in the sun. And she hid the two spies amongst the flax. And she lied by telling those who had been sent by the king of Jericho that the two men had been and gone. She also advised them that if they pursued the spies quickly, that they would overtake them. I wonder if she was being careful to say overtake and not to say that they would catch them, knowing full well that they wouldn't catch them. She simply said, if you go quickly, you'll overtake them. I don't know. Anyway, the king's, the king's men went off in hot pursuit after the spies, not realising that those spies were hiding on Rahab's rooftop. Later on, Rahab advised the spies to hide in the mountains for three days before continuing on the journey back to the camp of the Israelites. Also, she sought an assurance from the spies that when the Lord gave Israel the land, they would spare her family, delivering their lives from death. The spies agreed, provided that she kept quiet about their business in the meantime. Also, when Rahab asked for a true token, the spies told her to tie the scarlet thread 
that she was about to let them down by out of a window to, to tie that thread in the same window. And she was to bring her family into her home. If they left the home, then their blood would be upon themselves. If they, as provided they stayed in her home, if, they were, if their blood was shed, then their blood would be upon the spies. Rahab then lowered the spies out of her window on the city wall and they made their escape. After hiding up on the mountain for three days in accordance with the advice of that pagan prostitute named Rahab, the spies returned to Joshua saying, Truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land, for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. First of all, we can consider the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. The two Israelite spies entered the walled city of Jericho at night time, precisely how we're not told. Perhaps they braved it by walking through the, the gate, blending into the crowd. More likely they scaled the wall. I don't really know. Whichever way they did it, I should imagine that they prayed as they'd never prayed before. Just imagine it. Put yourself in their position, those two spies going into that city. However they did it, they must have been doing it on a prayer. I, I would, I certainly would have been. Uh, looking to the Lord to ensure that they were not hindered from spying out the land and they were looking to the Lord to bring them back to Joshua, having successfully co- uh, completed the mission that they were sent on. Even though it was Joshua who sent out the spies, those men were doing the Lord's work and it would be the Lord and not Joshua or anyone else and not even the skills of those two spies that would bring their mission to a successful completion. There were all, uh, there were a number of things that could have gone wrong. So it was the Lord who sent them, the Lord who would bring them back to Joshua safely. Joshua sent them out on a reconnaissance mission, perhaps to see if the inhabitants of Jericho were alert and ready to resist the Israelites, even though the Lord had already given assurances that he was giving them the land. The two men returned to Joshua with a favourable report about the inhabitants of the land, that they had heard all about the Israelites and they were fearful of them. Perhaps the all-knowing God had even instructed Joshua to send out their spies, to send out those spies for the very purpose of bringing back that favourable report to allay any nervousness that there may have been amongst the Israelites and to encourage them. They would have been encouraged to know that the inhabitants of Jericho were fearful because of the advancing Israelites. What can be seen is that the promises and assurances of God do not negate or nullify human responsibility. As can already be seen in chapter 2, there was a lot of preparatory work before 
the conquest of Jericho. And that preparatory work continued right up to chapter 6, when finally Jericho was taken. They didn't just go into Jericho because the Lord had given it to them. There were things to be done. Another example of receiving the promises of God of a favourable outcome and still doing whatever is necessary can be found in the New Testament in Acts chapter 27, which is about the Apostle Paul. He was on a ship that was bound for Italy. The ship ran into difficulties. However, the angel of God assured Paul that he must appear before Caesar and that God had given him all that sailed with him. In other words, no one on that ship was going to die. Even so, later on, when the ship's crew were about to jump ship, Paul said to the centurion, Except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. Even though God, or the angel of God, had given the assurance that he would lose none that was on the ship, Paul still said, except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. And the centurion then took all necessary measures to stop the crew from abandoning the ship. In everyday life, we all have responsibilities, despite God's overruling providence, his promises, his sovereignty, his assurances. For example, in the book of Job, Job said to the Lord about man, Seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee, thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. What Job was saying is the length of your life is known and fixed by God. Even so, you have a duty of care for your body and for your mind, to eat healthily, to take exercise and so on and so on. And that's something that I'm still learning and I'm learning from bitter experience. And with respect to salvation from sin, the Bible clearly and plainly teaches that before the foundation of the world, God sovereignly chose people for salvation. For example, the Apostle Paul, speaking to the Ephesian Christians, said to them, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he have chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame, before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Elsewhere, what is it? That, well, in the same epistle, um, Paul said, "Being you are saved by grace through faith." 
And we have the rock-solid assurance from the Lord Jesus Christ that when he comes again, he will raise up all that his Father has given him and none will be missing. Even so, despite salvation from sin being a sovereign work of God from start to finish, the call continues to proceed from this pulpit and from from elsewhere for people to show repentance towards God, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, believing that Jesus bare their sins in his body on the cross, They're being called to be baptised, to call on the name of the Lord for the remission of their sins, as indeed the Bible bids us to do. Secondly, the spies hid in the house of Rahab the harlot. According to verse 1, having entered Jericho, the two spies came to an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. Although there's no evidence to suggest that Rahab was known by those two spies, what can be said with certainty is is that she was known throughout all eternity by God, her maker, whom she would come to know as God, her saviour. Purely from a human perspective, the spies lodging at a prostitute's house was probably a good strategy. We needn't think beyond that. It was probably a good idea. After all, Jericho was a pagan land of idolatry and sexual immorality like ours, I suppose. And so strangers in town heading for a harlot's house probably would not have aroused any great suspicion. It made sense for the spies to go to Rahab's house, the house of a harlot. However, in the providence of God, Word concerning the two men, being Israelites, and what their mission was, reached the king of Jericho. And with Rahab's assistance, they made good their escape, and they returned to Joshua with a detailed report, courtesy of their hostess. For example, look at verses 9 through to 11, what Rahab said to those spies, and which they no doubt um, told Joshua, verses 9 through to 11. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water, this is Rahab speaking, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when ye came out of Egypt and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. And look at verse 24 again. And they said unto Joshua, Truly the Lord have delivered into our hands all the land, for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint or melt because of us. They knew that from Rahab, the harlot, their hostess. You can see how the Lord God was was making his arrangements here and bringing the spies into contact 
with Rahab, but there's a lot more besides that. There's a lot more besides Rahab being able to give that positive report to the two spies to take back to Joshua. We can thirdly consider Rahab's faith. With the help of other passages in the Bible, it can be seen that God, who determines the days and numbers, numbers the months of our lives, had already determined that Rahab, the Canaanite harlot, would not die in the coming siege, but would instead align with Israel and, as a repentant sinner, graciously saved from her sins by faith. She would become an ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ according to his humanity. These things didn't just happen. God was arranging everything and his plan was unfolding. You can see that to be the case with harlot, uh, Rahab the harlot. In the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'll, I'll read it to you, Matthew chapter 1 verse 5. You've got that genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. Verse 5 it is written, And Salmon begat Boaz of of Rahab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse. So we have Rahab in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Rahab is a trophy and a testimony of God's abundant grace, which was greater than all her sins, including her sexual immorality, and not forgetting her lie when she told the king's men that the spies had left her house, even though she had hidden them on her rooftop. In fact, God's grace is infinitely greater than all our sins combined, and the sins of everyone whose name is written in heaven. As it is written in Isaiah 53, verse 6, The Lord have laid on him the iniquity of us all. I've got the us all underlined. Can you imagine that? The collective sins of the entire church throughout the ages bundled and put on the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross where he took the burden of our sins all who would ever trust in him chosen before the foundation of the world unto salvation. He bare those sins and he took those sins away at the cross, including Rahab the harlot. And not just Rahab the harlot, even your sins, if you belong to Jesus. How about that? Fourthly, Rahab's faith was confessed. In Romans chapter 10, verse 10, it is written, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We've already seen Rahab's confession with her mouth and her God-given faith in the verses I read to you a few minutes ago, verses 9 through to 11. She confessed that the Lord is God in heaven above, and in the earth beneath. As such, Rahab renounced all the useless Canaanite gods, which are crafted by sinful hands, and are nothing more than the imaginations of wicked hearts and minds. 
But he did that by confessing that the Lord, Jehovah, in heaven above, is the Lord God in heaven above and in the earth beneath. She acknowledged the Lord as Almighty God who dried up the Red Sea when he delivered the children of Israel from their afflictions in Egypt. The worthless idols of that land cannot be said to do such things. She had heard how the Lord had given the Israelites the victory over their enemies on the other side of the River Jordan. Fifthly, Rahab's faith was an active faith. Look at verses 10 and 11 again. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when ye came out of Egypt and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sion and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. As soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God in heaven above, the earth beneath. Not only did Rahab confess with her mouth that which she received and believed in her heart, but she also aligned herself with the Lord's people. She was doing that. We see that in those verses. Aligning herself with the two spies, with the children of Israel. However, there was no such yielding to the Lord by others in that pagan land. Even though reports of the mighty works of the Lord had been been heard, not just by Rahab, but by all of Jericho. There was a fundamental difference between Rahab and all the others in that pagan land. The difference was that there was nothing beyond a natural fear that gripped their hearts. But with Rahab, there was a godly fear. There was faith and there was obedience to God. We can see a clear distinction in the chapter of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament between Rahab who believed and the others of that land who did not believe. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 31 it is written, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. The Greek word that has been translated believed, where by faith the harlot uh, harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not, that word believed in believed not can also mean obeyed. So they obeyed not. Rahab perished not with them that obeyed not. Rahab's faith was seen in her obedience, whereas the unbelief of the others was seen in their disobedience. Also, Rahab receives a mention in another New Testament book, James, which makes it very clear that faith without works is dead. In James chapter 2, verse 25 and 26, it is written, Was not Rahab the harlot justified by works? when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Let me make it very clear to you what 
we are saved by grace through faith in the finished works of the Lord Jesus Christ. Any true faith, genuine saving faith in Jesus is visible. There is a fruit of that faith. It's seen in works. We're saved by grace through faith unto good works, which the Lord has prepared that we should walk in. Putting it another way, you cannot rest on a testimony. If you've been a Christian for X number of years, and you're just resting on that testimony from all those years ago, and nothing, nothing more than that, you need to examine your profession of faith. Faith is seen in the life that you now live in the flesh by faith of the Son of God as a new creature in Christ, as someone who has been crucified with Christ, buried with Christ in baptism, raised up to newness of life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're seeing it already in Rahab, the harlot. Aligning herself to the Israelites, ultimately, by the grace of God, aligning herself to the Lord, he is God of heaven and earth, as she said. So as we finish, who would have thought it that a pagan prostitute would be saved from her sins that she would be regenerated, that she would be transformed from being an enemy of God to being a child of God, busy about her heavenly father's business, that she would marry into the ancestry of the Lord Jesus Christ, that with regards his humanity, she would become a distant mother of the man who is God. But then that is the Christian faith. As Paul said about God in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, who have saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. And that includes choosing Rahab before the world began, before she'd ever done anything before she was conceived in her mother's womb. What about you? Is yours a faith that is heard? Is it a faith that is seen? Is that the kind of faith that you possess? In other words, do you believe that even though you are most certainly no more deserving than Rahab, The Son of God has nevertheless carried the burden of your sin away in his own body at the cross. And now, as I've already said just a minute or two ago, and now the life you now live in the flesh, you live by faith of the Son of God who loved you and who gave himself for you. And though you may stumble and though you, the things you, you want to do, you don't do, The things you don't want to do, you do. Even so, is it your prayer that God would give you the grace to do that which is pleasing in his sight? Drawing on his grace. Something we saw this morning. Drawing on the grace 
of Jesus, the true vine. And you do so not as a dead branch that is good for nothing except to be thrown on the fire, but as a living branch in Christ Jesus, your Saviour. Amen.